Okay, welcome back to Talking Knicks. I'm Tom Piccolo, coming to you less than 24 hours removed from... Uh, it, was, it was a tough one. The Knicks got absolutely dominated in Game 2 in Cleveland by a score of 90 to 107. I think it was a little worse than the score even indicated. I'm joined in studio today by special guest. We'll get to him in a minute. We're going to talk about this, this disgusting game. So let's do it. Let's talk Knicks. All right, I am joined by the producer of this show. It is it has been a minute since he's been on the podcast, um, but he's also a co-host. It's BBD, Big Baby David. Beebs, how are you? Tom, wish I was here under better circumstances. Nick's got shellacked. They did do that. They did. Um, I mean, do you did you have any takes about game one that you kind of had harbored that you weren't um, able to, to get off because you weren't able to, to join? Most of them were about just how good a win that was because all the obvious reasons you win one on the road, but particularly against this Cavs team that is so much better at home than on the road and uh, the importance of any playoff series to get a road win under your belt. But, uh, yeah, they all they all feel a little moot. and and, and Or they bleed into thoughts on just this game. Yeah, I would, I would have rather talked about that. But, but here we are... Um, so we both watched game two. I actually, I did tap out after three quarters. I thought that the competitive portion of the game was over, and I was right. Um, I, I, you know, I would check the box score uh, just to see if anything was going on in that fourth quarter, and it appeared that nothing of value or, or you know, worth talking about really transpired. So we can just talk about kind of the, the first half, the first three quarters, and, and what went wrong in that competitive portion. Um, you know, it started out pretty good. I, I want to say yeah. that at one time the the score was like, was it twelve to five? Was it was it even better than that? There was like, Knicks at least were up like twelve six at one point. Um, but we can we can get an exact number on that. But no, overall, like that first quarter was uh was good. Knicks finish it, uh, giving up a little run to the Cavs, but they're only down three after the first. After that. I mean, on paper, sure that third quarter was also fine, and and the Knicks actually do win the fourth quarter, but but really from there it was all, all Cleveland, and and like you alluded to, you know they get, they they barely get to ninety points in this game, and and that's with, uh, with a lot of garbage time. So yeah, and I think you know coming into this game, there was a lot of talk on the Cavs side about just the physicality, of New York, of the the Knicks bigs in particular, and how they just out. Hustled him, just were too strong. It led to a rebounding advantage in that game one, and um, it also was it was a turnover advantage in game one. Mm-hmm. And though the script really flipped in game two in a major way, the uh, the Knicks had just a ton of turnovers, especially in the competitive part of this game. I, I want to say they finished the game each with seventeen, but we'll keep having to make that distinction that in the first half, it, it, I don't think it was even particularly close, and the the turnovers that the Knicks did have. Were, were very damaging, but just that level of physicality was yeah. was completely different, right? The, the Cavs actually came to they, play in this one. They clearly went home after game one and and made the adjustment between uh, putting pressure on on, uh, on Brunson and, and really everybody. They were much more physical. Um, like you said, the, a lot of the, the team stats, like turnovers, the – the free throw differential, which was cited in a lot of group chats. Um, 
by the end of the game, it actually doesn't look that bad. But during the competitive portion, it was a, it was a rather, rather large disparity. And, and you brought up Brunson, so I think this does start with him because um, he kind of sets the tone. He certainly sets the tone for the offense um, as the point guard, and, and it's his job to not only to create opportunities to score for himself but for his teammates. And I, I think that largely that w- there was a, it was a failure on his part, and I think mm-hmm. that a lot of Knicks fans would then say, well, look at his teammates. Like, how could he have any trust in your R.J. Barrett's your Quentin Grimes, your Emmanuel Quickly's, when these guys couldn't hit for anything. And even, you know, Randall, I think his his shooting line looks okay, but he was really, really bad in this game. He had finished with yeah. six turnovers. His his defense was just non existent. But then even on the offensive end, he was his decision making was really questionable. So uh I, I don't know. Where do you land as far as like Putting the blame is such a harsh word, but like, where does it fall on Brunson's shoulders? Just the Knicks' struggles offensively. I like, uh, look, he ultimately was still the best player on on the Knicks, so it's hard. I don't want to say I blame him, but early on, he was more aggressive than he typically is on offense. As the point guard, it's kind of your job to get as many guys involved as possible. I know. We're looking for for RJ Grimes and quickly like that trio in particular. We're looking for them to contribute anything, uh, and and they RJ I guess technically of the three is is contributing the most positives. Um, he's certainly been the most aggressive of, of the looking three. At, looking for a shot. Um, yeah. um, he's he's the closest there, but. Ol- at the end of the day, um, even though we, you know, he hasn't made the most of the opportunity, like Quentin Grimes only gets two shots in this game. That's that's a problem. I mean, that's not acceptable, and I don't know whose fault that is. Besides Grimes himself not getting either open enough or, or whatever, to the, other than just Brunson not not getting him any sort of early looks to try to get into a rhythm as I one think of our best floor spreaders. I think that's right. I mean, Grimes, for for the most part, like we know that he relies on others to create looks. For himself, right? He's not out there generating. Pretty rare. Yeah, he's not out there generating a bunch of his looks. Like usually when he is putting the ball on the floor, it's to attack a closeout, it's to get to the rim or dump it off to a big. And I mean, he's just been completely negated uh, by the. Just really a non factor so far. Completely. Um, And I I do think that that falls on on Brunson to an extent. Um, So there were, like you mentioned, the Cavs were super aggressive defending Brunson. They were like, hard trapping him, and in those cases, it's on the point guard to get rid of the ball early, mm. right? And he just simply wasn't doing that. Like, he was he was holding on to it for too long. He was, you know, kind of backing it out or would have his back turned to the defense and was unable to make the, the right first pass. But even when he did make the right first pass, he would, like, hit Mitchell Robinson, for example, and Mitch would just hold onto the ball until the Cavs' defense was able to recover. Yeah. Julius Randle as well, such a slow decision maker. No one was able to even take advantage of these advantages created by Brunson getting double yeah. teamed. So he, like, it, it's really on everybody. Like, it, 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 that's exactly what I was thinking. Like, as much as sure, singularly, we're putting the most blame on him. It comes from a place of knowing what he's capable of and what he mm-hmm. did in Game One and and how smart he typically is. But in this game, even when he when he passed it off to people, nobody else did anything or nobody did anything to, to really help that situation. There's a couple 
couple Mitch screens or, or dumps to him that eventually either he gets trapped or, or just get it back to Brunson. Like, just, just nobody was doing him any favors. And so to an extent, I understand playing why he played a little bit of hero ball early. And if a couple of those shots fall, it's, it helps. But uh, yeah, and just I, nobody, nobody could do anything. In this one, yeah, we, we pointed to Grimes just two field goal attempts. Mitchell Robinson as well relies on other people to create for him, and he only had two field goal attempts as well. Um, he only had one offensive rebound, which is really tough. Yeah, that's... for our offense, our offense just completely relies on his ability to generate more opportunities. So the fact that that the Cavs were able to to nullify that was is is just a really tough look for our offense and, and hopefully game three, he's able to flip that around. But you yeah. know, Mitch and Grimes are both guys who feed off of the, the looks created by, by the primary ball handlers, by the playmakers, by your Brunson's and Julius Randall's, even RJ Barrett's. None of them were able to do that. None of them were able to create those advantages or exploit them. And yeah, I mean, that was the story of the game, right? Mm-hmm. So I, you know, there's only so much to, to really say about that, but I, I do think yeah. we're going to need to see, I, there's some like easy stuff to clean up, right? You're, I mean, Jalen Brunson's not going to shoot one for eight from three again, right? Yeah. And then and then you look at the other guys, you know, Grimes going over two, RJ going over three, which has kind of been kind of more expected. That yeah. Um, but even Ob going one for four, like these are got quickly going one for four. The Knicks are going to shoot better from three, but at the same time, like there has to be more of an emphasis on getting the ball to move because sometimes when, when guys start to miss shots, I, I tweeted this uh, last night, like this Knicks team really does start to kind of lose trust in each other and the ball just gets really sticky and they do play hero ball like you said. And that's just, it, it's something where you kind of have to keep making the right play regardless of whether the shot's going down or not. Yeah, they've, they've got to get just power through that instance if they get off to another slow shooting night uh in game three um yeah i don't know uh, but, let's talk real quickly about man about emmanuel quickly because uh, that's kind of who i was hoping we'd go to next because it's the biggest problem on the team right now the the single thing that would change this series the most he's a he's a dynamic player on both sides of the floor he's been the Knicks' third best player all season and he's been a, a complete no-show and in the in the box score stats as you said, don't entirely reflect it. Like he was four of eight from the field. He was three of four from two. Um, that doesn't sound so bad. He had 12 points, just one turnover. It's not indicative of, of how he played, especially at yeah. the beginning there when we, when the Knicks needed him to perform. <laughs> he was he was really bad. Um, he couldn't get a single inch. He couldn't create space for himself, which is something he has been so good at all season. He, you know, with his hesitation dribbles, with his kind of bursts and his, he's able to like use kind of off speed. He kind of slows down, speeds up. He was able to just create no space against guys like Darius Garland, Karis LeVert. And it was a huge issue. Like it led to turnovers. Um, I know he had just the one turnover, but it was a pick six. And he, if he's not able to create for himself and others, it's, it's really tough. It's, it's just like, he's, he's particularly, Coming off of game one, where again he like he just could not buy a bucket, and it would ha- he'll he'll turn in a stinker like that, you know, a little more frequently than you'd like, sure. But uh, but he, he 
it's very atypical to to turn in back to back bad performances like that. Fortunately, I know they happen in garbage time. We we, we talked about the made buckets at the end. Ho- hopefully that uh, you know just seeing a couple go in and, and then you get back home. You know, they, they, I guess the what the adage is is like home courts for like the role players, and he's still kind of that category. So hopefully, getting home, having seen a couple. Having seen a little success at the end of the game, I know it was garbage time, but hopefully that all helps the Emmanuel quickly portion of, of this roster. Yeah, I think part of his issue is that he's just like not a very physically imposing or strong player right now. So mm-hmm. when his kind of craft gets taken away from him, um, the foul drawing, you know, in the past guy in the regular season, guys jump at Emmanuel quickly pump fakes. They react when he when he you know, pump fakes, try, pretends to get a shot up to the, to the basket. And, and this game, nobody left their feet. Quickly was throwing pump fake after pump fake, and no one bit on it. I'm sure that has to be a part of their scouting report. But it definitely rattled him that he just couldn't get – he couldn't deceive a single person. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and he got in his head a little bit. So hopefully, to your point, that coming home, seeing the ball go through the basket is going to change – um, just sort of his whole approach because the Knicks desperately need him. We've seen that they can win when he has a bad game like he, like they did in, in game one, but the role players, Josh Hart was that guy in game one. Yeah, he, the, he the, filled his the, the absence we were getting from quickly yeah, in game and, one. And Josh Hart couldn't do that in game two. He's coming back from this injury. It was a game-time decision. Um, you know, He's probably playing off adrenaline at this point, but mm-hmm. you know, and, and hopefully we see that, that fully healthy Josh Hart later in the series, but yeah, um, a couple more days away, and hopefully he's uh, he's back to him because what he provides is great. Yes. Um. Yeah, I'd say like on the on the defensive side of the ball, the the Knicks defense was mostly good. I'd say Darius Garland presented the, the biggest issue. Um, clearly, he had mm-hmm. he had thirty two points on just seventeen shot attempts. Yeah, he got to the free throw line at will. He was six to ten from three. Um. On, and then passing the ball, Donovan Mitchell, his 13 assists to two turnovers, that's wildly that's, impressive for a guy who is not really touted for his... Yeah, like he, he does making. some of that, sure, but uh, and, and he, he'll he'll make the smart play. But he, uh, yeah, not known for, for that kind of assist, and particularly assist to turnover number. Yeah, he was just making the right play. Like the... the the Knicks were getting the ball out of his hands, and, and Mitchell just kept making the right play. That the team and the Cavs in general were just finding the open guy. Um, you know, Isaac Okoro started, played for the first two minutes and forty-five seconds, and that's when it kind of looked like, oh, the Knicks are—they're running back the same game plan from game mm-hmm. one, and it, it's probably going to work again. They're going to force these role players to beat them, and Isaac Okoro was quickly subbed out. Yeah, and then you know you just had got—I mean, Karis Levert played forty minutes. In game one, Levert was garbage. He, he's one of these streaky guys who can really turn it on, or he can be a huge negative. Um, but you know, Levert was tough. I will say that the Cavs in general were just targeting Jalen Brunson on defense. They're putting him in pick and roll after pick and roll after pick and roll. They're trying to exhaust him, I think. But also, he, he's for whatever reason that wasn't as big of an issue in in game one. I thought that. Brunson played one of his best defensive games of his Knicks career yeah. in game one. Um, and he just didn't play at that level, but there were just holes all over. Julius Randle 
was abysmal on the defensive end, just didn't seem to have it. Um, I guess one question I have for you is uh, Danny Green played 20 minutes. I, I don't think <laughs> it was all – it was, certainly wasn't all garbage time. He got real substantial He was time. in at one point – at least for for a stretch early. I wonder if that's going to be the the move. If Isaac Okoro is going to be just kind of relegated to a bench role, and yeah, Danny or, Green or just out of he could just be out. He could be out like three minutes, and we didn't see him again yesterday. So I, I said after game one that uh, I thought Ricky Rubio was done for the series because he was just so bad and so detrimental to their team. Um, so they're just kind of looking for the the role players that could fill in. I mean, Jetty Osman. One for seven from three. The Knicks, again, were just daring him to shoot. He wasn't an issue. It was really... I mean, Danny Green kind of just provided a steadying presence where you can't leave him open on the perimeter, mm-hmm. right? Like, you can completely you can completely leave a Coro. You got... You, yeah. Os- Osman has to, like, prove to you that he can beat you. Um, and even Levert, like, he's not a great three-point shooter. Last night, he was four of nine from three and actually statistically he's having a good three-point shooting season but these are all guys that you're just like prove it danny green you can't really leave so you if you leave him open he'll confidently take a, a shot yes <laughs> um so i i don't know I, i'm wondering if the Cavs actually found some stuff rotation wise that are gonna that's gonna help him going forward and make him more difficult to, to guard yeah that uh yeah one forgot had forgotten Danny Green like went back there. He'd only played seven games for the Cavs right. this season, so uh, I, I felt less bad about having forgotten that. When a minute later they they read that on the MSG broadcast, but yeah, they uh, it seems like they made the first like big personnel adjustment adjustments uh, with with Rubio also kind of out of the rotation uh, in getting a Coro and him out of there for the most part. So uh, credit credit to them for making that and it thoroughly working in this game. I think we can probably dig a little bit more into Garland and like how he was defended. You know, obviously RJ Barrett starts on him each game. That is just, we knew going in that was going to be a tough matchup for RJ. I don't know that he did any worse of a job as anybody else did. Like mm-hmm. it didn't really stand out to me that he in yeah, particular in, was bad. In hindsight, like, like, no, nah, but, but that is a hard matchup for him. No question. Tough. Like, Again, we, we knew that coming into the series. Um, but it's not like the Knicks have a ton of options, you know, especially if Josh Hart is feeling hobbled in any way, right? Yeah. But, but, you know, Quentin Grimes is going to guard Donovan Mitchell. When Quentin Grimes is out, it's probably Josh Hart on Donovan Mitchell. And it's just that only gives you so many options for Garland. Um, we did see Deuce McBride come in for just two yeah. and a half minutes. Some of that was garbage time. I, yeah, I was... I thought they might go to that sooner, or at least I would have liked to, even if it was right when garbage time was real, I guess. But uh, they, they they waited a while to hit that button. I just thought, let's see it at some point. Uh, I, th- I thought they would do it earlier in this game, just that's kind of what Deuce theoretically his role would, would be. I don't know if that... I don't think it would have made a discernible difference in the result of this game, but it would have been worth checking out sooner just to... See, yeah, I know he got like it was like one possessions worth of defense against Basically. Darius Garland. Either that was in the first half or the third quarter, and he, I mean, really, again, it was one possession, but he gave Darius Garland trouble, more trouble than he had the rest of the game, and that we, you know, that's not 
small sample size stuff, that's that's what Deuce McBride does. Yeah. Um, before the series, that, that's I, like the scouting report coming in. Exactly. This is like, all right, he, he could be like our point of attack defender. Exactly. That's what he'll do. Like uh-huh. before the series, I wrote a um, a preview for Nick's film school, and one of my six questions or whatever it was, five questions I had was like, is Deuce McBride going to play even a minor role in this series? Because the Knicks' point of attack defense is not that strong, and the Cavs' backcourt is among the best in the league, if not the best in the league. So, like, I wasn't suggesting that Deuce needs to play even 10 minutes a game. I think that might be a little much, especially when the offense was as big of a problem as it was in game two. But using Deuce as kind of a change-up to just throw him in for, like, three, four minutes. Yeah. Give, give some different look. Make him uncomfortable. Yeah. Make make Garland super just uncomfortable. Get, just get, if it gets him out of whatever rhythm, even if yes. you get him back out of there three minutes later, I think that's worth trying out. Just un- unleash Deuce. Like, tell him, hey, you're only getting a few minutes. Go all out. Like, yeah. you expend all your energy in these few minutes. You know, do it in a smart way. Don't go fouling everybody. But, yeah. like... <laughs> Don't put us in trouble. But. Yeah. But but really dig in and get into guys' jerseys and make them uncomfortable, get them out of that rhythm, like you said. And I I would be interested to know if that's um, even on Tibbs' radar going forward because this backcourt is really freaking good. And Jalen Brunson is someone that we're trying to hide at yeah, all times. That that has been you know all last off season when when we thought we were the ones that would get Donovan Mitchell part of the. The discussion around that was him and Brunson on defense together would be pretty brutal. Like we've we've known this could be an issue, um, so we gotta we gotta work around what Brunson's limitations on that end of the floor are. He's been so valuable for us in in basically every other way, and it's not to say he doesn't play smart. He just is limited on on that end. It's a skill that he does not possess. Yeah, and I don't want to suggest that like we panic and change our rotations and like yeah. do all this just reacting to one game. Um, but like I said, even before the series, I, this was kind of on my radar and I, it just like matchup wise kind of makes sense. And Deuce played a good amount during the regular season, right? When there were injuries, when anything like that was going on and, and he played against the Cavs and did well against the Cavs specifically, specifically. So um, I don't think it's crazy to uh, to posit that he could get some time here and actually make a difference, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm P- particularly if it, like if Hart's still hobbled at all come game three, you'd at some point I think we could get something like that. Yeah, I'm definitely uh, interested to see how Tibbs handles that, um, but. Yeah, overall, like I know a lot of people are pointing to the the whistle in that first half that it was a yeah. rough whistle for the for the Knicks. And I know if if our other co-hosts Kenny and Greg were on here, like they were in, in particular very upset about how that was, <laughs> yeah, being called. Um, and yeah, there were some super questionable calls. It's just I and I think they'd probably agree with this too. It wasn't the reason that the Knicks lost. No, the it, game. it it's just not pleasant when that's happening along with everything else that was. Happening on both ends of the floor for the Knicks. So uh it, it you hope that evens out in a game and and it goes the Knicks way and uh and I'm not gonna be upset if that actively helps the Knicks win their next game. So, so you, hope they can take advantage of a, of an evening out there of sorts. Don't know if it's coming. 
but big picture, like if, if people told us before the series, hey, you're going to go home 1-1, you got home court advantage coming back to MSG, I, I think that most Knicks fans would take that every time. Ultimately, they landed where where we would have asked. You get one of these wins in Cleveland, and uh, you know it, it is unfortunate that the one loss was of this uh, variety. And and so thoroughly a beating, but uh, overall you got you got the one win you needed, uh, and, and you get to come back with home court advantage on on their side, particularly against this Cavs team that's been so good on their home floor and and less successful on the road. Yeah, I think uh, overall we we don't like we said we don't want to panic. Mm-hmm. Um, there was some dispiriting stuff in that game too, but yeah. you know, stuff that like now we know I'm looking at like a, a stat from this is Dan divine of Yahoo sports. And he, he tweeted according to second spectrum after not blitzing Jalen Brunson at all in game one on the pick and roll, the Cavs did it nine times in game two. And the Knicks scored just five points on mm. those plays, creating turnovers. And um, so like now the Knicks, have to know, be ready to be blitzed. Put guys in positions to be able to exploit that. You're getting two on the ball. The problem is, like, Jalen Brunson is a is a shorter point guard, right? So he's not able to, like, see over that. Yeah. Especially if you're having a big come up to set a screen, then you're going to have a big guy blitzing, you know, like an Evan Mobley type blitzing Jalen Brunson. That's a problem. But the Knicks used a lot of guard guard screening actions to try and get Donovan Mitchell involved or Darius Garland involved in the action. So um, there should be some opportunities to, I mean, it's up to Tibbs' job, figure out a way to beat this blitzing defense because it's, um, it was definitely an issue in, in game two. Absolutely. They, um, yeah. And we, and on the offensive end, it's kind of clear what they, what else they need. And that's, just contributions from anyone that's not Brunson and Randall, uh, as far as just big picture, what they need. Any of those one, any of those guys get hot quickly. Grimes, RJ, uh, hell, Hart gets hot again. Um, if we can get somebody else actually contributing, they'll be in a much better place. And I think a lot of those guys do well in transition, like. RJ kind of struggles in transition a bit, but you know, Quentin Grimes, I feel like is very good in transition. Obi Toppin, obviously mm-hmm. Josh Hart is a monster in transition. So trust them any way that the, that the Knicks can just speed up a bit with that second unit, push the pace and, you know, set up the offense before the Cavs can set up their defense, which is the number one ranked defense in the league. Like you got to try and, um, and score before they set up and, and get set. Otherwise, you might be in trouble. So um, there's definitely some some areas for improvement. Are you feeling optimistic for game three at MSG on Friday? I am. I mean, offensively, I don't see how they could play any worse. I think the home court will do our role players uh, a lot of favors. And they got like, like they got the road win they needed. So I'm, uh, I'm excited to see them in action again. I feel as optimistic as, as I think I'm capable of. My only trepidation here is that the, the Knicks weren't a very good home team. Um, yeah. And I, I think a lot of that is chalked up to during the regular season, like 
opposing teams get to come to the garden and feed off the energy and play in this historic arena and they get excited. They want to show out for the New York city crowd. Um, I I do feel like the playoffs could be a little different, right? Mm -hmm. Like the, particularly with this Cavs team that has like home road disparities with them. Like I, if it was another team, I wouldn't say that coming home is as inherent an advantage, but, uh, I think it'll just it'll do them at least some good. I agree. I'm I'm also feeling pretty good. Um, yeah, to your point, the the Cavs were 31 and 10 at home. I mean, that's a very good home record. That is that is extremely good. And then they were just they're below 500 away. So this is not a team that like to travel very much. Um, so yeah, plenty to be optimistic about. I think we could probably wrap it up there, and so. we'll uh, yeah we'll look to to check in again at some point. Yeah, over the weekend. Hope so. Hopefully it's a win. All right, BBD, thanks for hopping on, man. Um, If you're listening to this, we appreciate you. Make sure you follow us. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter. Tell a friend. Tell a friend. You have friends. Tell a friend this exists. You checked out a Nick's show. You have friends. You've got friends. Prove it. Go tell somebody you liked this Discussion about Nick's game too. We're putting out breakdowns, all that fun stuff on our various channels. So yeah, check us out there. Yeah. And until then, hey, let's go Nick's. Nick's tape.